Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello, and welcome to another Recovery Month 2020 Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator for MPN, and I'm here with several MPN members. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Well, my name's Bill Devil. I work for Montana's Peer Network as a recovery coach, and I'm here with a few friends. We're going to do a little men's recovery talk and just talk about recovery and uh, we'll get going we'll each introduce ourselves and then we'll get into the discussion of men's recovery i'm greg arciello i'm on the board of montana peer network and i'm the interim president now of the uh on the executive board in terms a really important word because <laughs> you have to leave it at that and i'm lawrence roan and i am uh, a uh, veterans advocate, and I'm located in uh, Northeast Montana in a small town called Flaxville, Montana. I've been in recovery since 1991. I came to know the Montana Peer Network last year at the convention, and uh, very impressed with this program and look forward to our uh, fellowship today. I'm Todd Tecca. I'm a peer support specialist in Helena with the uh, Center for Mental Health. I've been involved with MPN off and on for the last few years. I have been in recovery since 2005 and look forward to this conversation. Nice. So I have also been in long-term recovery since 2007 and I think each of our stories will be interesting on how maybe we got into recovery and then how our recovery has evolved. I got introduced to recovery through DOC. I uh, wasn't looking to stay in recovery, but uh, through my journey of abiding by DOC's conditions, I found recovery, meaning somewhere along the line, 12, 13 months into following those conditions and abiding by those rules, um, I found hope that maybe possibly I could recover from mental health and substance abuse issues that had been ongoing in my life. This is Greg. I got sober in October of 2016. Prior to that, I had 10 years of sobriety and went back out for 16 years and came back in in, in the October of 16. My first go around in sobriety was a bunch of treatment centers and uh, stayed sober for those 10 years and then bounced around and spent some DOC time and stuff like that as well. So when I came into the program this time and I do 12 and I do a lot of 12 step program that I got, you know, it was time to get sober and take it for real. <laughs> you know, I, I had 10 years of not using, but I wasn't working the program. And in this time around, I get to work the program. and uh, it's, it, I can tell the difference. And, and, and using the 12 steps, I've been involved with Montana Peer Network since 2016. So yeah, for me, it's uh, not only does it help my life, it's become a lifestyle. 
And that's been, uh, that's something I didn't get the first time around. And so that's where I'm at a little bit with that. This is Todd. So I agree. Recovery for me has also become a lifestyle. Um, when I first started out recovering from alcoholism and uh, mental health issues, it really was challenging because I had no idea where to start. And for six months, I actually spent trying to do research to prove that that wasn't true and found out that really it really was true. <laughs> so, um, which gave me some starting point. And MPN was really crucial in helping me to get on track with recovery in the different classes that they offered and things. And finding some peer support here in town and getting into the system so that uh, I could just get in that routine. And over the years, it's actually become my career. So I love it. I, I can't think of anything more rewarding than seeing that aha moment on someone's face when they figure out that it's not really the end of your life. It's really the beginning because now you know where to start. Yeah, I can only uh, add to that in my recovery. And I say I've been in recovery since 1991, and that's after I uh, exited service. I'm a, a veteran of the United States Army from the Kuwait war era. My challenges had to do with and have to do with handling the uh, mental challenges of hypervigilance and navigating life and slowing things down and trusting um, in a structured thought process. And uh, along with that, I have a brother and a had a brother and I have a sister who were drug addicts and I lost my brother as a result of that and my sister is uh, currently her body is uh, digressing as a result of it. So in dealing with that I've learned that uh, it's important to have tools and mechanisms, programs to uh, structure my approach to life but my biggest aha moment has been that I've found that I've had the strongest amount of structure in the service of others. I've been able to find myself through that because I am a person that who wants to see that look in a person's eye. They don't have to say thank you. You see that expression of gratitude in their look, in their smile, in their quietness, in their approach to how they deal with you afterwards, after you've been able and had the opportunity to serve them. So I made that a, a part of who I became and what I do, especially since the loss of my brother, who was 12 years younger than I. Um, he died in uh, July the 16th, 2015. I'll piggyback off that and I also have found, I heard purpose in, in what you were saying, Lawrence, and, and my purpose I have come to found is to serve others. And, and for some reason, for whatever reason it is, is when I serve others, my needs are met. And it, it's a, a paradox or a paradigm or whatever that saying is, is it's, it's, it's really strange that when I serve others, my needs are met. And 
when I was living life differently and I was self-serving, my cup was always half full, never reaching where I wanted it to reach and, and just that switch in lifestyle. Um, and the other thing is, is I totally agree with Greg with, with recovery for me today is a lifestyle. I, I live it, I breathe it. Um, it's stuff that I do every day. I have a re recovery routine that is a daily routine, and then it's broken down into a weekly routine. And that's because I have to stay connected and do things daily. Otherwise, for some reason, my ego gets in the way, and for some reason, I think I got it, or I know something, or, and yeah, the longer I'm in recovery, the more I realize I need to learn and the less I know. Um, and that, that's another weird thing that happens in recovery, at least for me. I, you know, I heard it all the time at the beginning of my recovery. I'm like, yeah, that's stupid. That don't make any sense. And the longer I stay in recovery, the more I realize how little I really do know. I'll, I'll piggyback on the service too. I, I'm a... I'm a twice convicted felon. And so, and I, and I've been a free man for a lot of years now, but yeah, when I'm serving, when I'm, when I'm working with others, I'm out of me. I don't have, I don't have time to think about me. And I like to think about me, you know, I mean, my wife will say, I love spending time with you, Greg. And I like, I like spending time with me too. And, um, <laughs> but I know that I, to, to, to give this away, I have to give this away. And, you know, when you think about, or when I think about, you know, the two guys that started AA, right? You know, here you had these two guys get together and they, and what they figured out was we have to share this with other people, right? We, this is how we have to do it. And, you know, I'm, I've been really fortunate to be able to work with others. And that's important for me. That really, really is important. You know, I get to work with some guys in the prison. I get to take AA into the prison. I would, yeah, I'm really grateful to be able to, to be able to do that. And, 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 you know, to, and to be aware of that's what I have to do. I was thinking about when I came back into the program this time, almost four years ago, how important it was for me to take a service position. I went to a, I went to a meeting a few days sober and this guy was like, you need to make coffee. And I'm like, I don't drink coffee at night. So I'm not making coffee. And he was like, dude, it's not about you. You know what I mean? It's about coffee for the rest of the people that are in this group. And, you know, from that day forward, I was making the coffee. But at that time, at that moment in time, I couldn't see past that. You know, I had to get rid of the, I think you said, Bill, the ego, you know what I mean? Of what I had before, I don't have to, you know, I don't have then. So that's been, uh, getting out of myself is really, really important. I'm not that important is what I really need to say. The other thing I found out is, uh, this is Lawrence, that in that service, once you declare yourself as a, a person of service and that you're a resource for your friends, your family, your community, people look to you for, and I, I can't remember who said that a little bit earlier, that you found uh, hope. They look to you for, for you become people's hope in a lot of situations and and you don't even realize it sharing your story and i i want to take this opportunity to uh, uh express my gratitude for this opportunity to um spend these few minutes with all of you because hearing your story 
helps me add to my toolbox of structure. There's so many different things that I uh, do and, and, and use as my fuel to provide me with uh, an infinite resource of, of energy to move forward. The, the tools that I picked up along the way have been very, very helpful in helping me advocate for veterans, educate veterans and my community, engage them, and to reach out to them. I've had the opportunity to uh, participate in RAP, which is the Wellness uh, Recovery Action Plan, and a veteran-specific one. And and I keep mentioning veteran because I think it's always important in, in every realm that I navigate. I try to share with everyone a couple of stories. And, and, and one of them is the fact that I, that, that we have this opportunity here to participate in a, in a podcast, in a exercise in our uh, freedoms and liberties to express ourselves rides on the shoulders of those who serve, those who are serving, and those who will serve. Montana is one of the, well, the second, has the second largest amount of veterans per capita in the United States. And so that means that we carry a huge load in our state in reference to veterans and affording us the opportunity to exercise our liberty. So I really, really uh, think that's important. I think it's important because then we can also use in our opportunity to serve our, an opportunity to express gratitude to those who serve because that serves as a small hinge. And I believe in the saying, I can't remember who made this quote, but uh, small hinges swing big doors. Uh, that hinge can become hope for someone, specifically the veteran who's back and trying to transition. And that transition is recovery. Because when you, when you uh, have an opportunity to serve your country, you don't necessarily see it as that way while you're doing it. You just do it. That's who you become. That's what you do. And when you leave that environment and you come to a civilian environment, you start to see things in a different way. And, and that's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge to be, I was an artilleryman and a forward observer, um, to, to be in a setting where you have to have different skill sets that aren't necessarily welcome in a, a, a civilian setting, right? And then try to figure out, wow, where do I fit in? How do I fit in? Well, if I just take the core attribute of being in the military, and that is to serve your country and serve, serve your community, serve your family, serve your brothers and sisters, and most important, I think not to forget, serve your environment, right? That then becomes a huge, huge tool to put in your toolbox, right? And that is uh, where I've, I've seen, and, and, and that wellness re recovery action plan, it helps you to decrease and prevent intrusive or troubling feelings and behaviors, increase personal empowerment, improve quality of life and achieve life goals and dreams. All of those are important, but they become more viable in the service of others. 
this is Todd again. I, I agree with Lawrence completely because in the service of others, I've actually found that that's really where the blessing lies. Sometimes I've told people that my bipolar disorder is actually my blessing and they think they really am crazy for that. But when I look at it as the fact that it's given me an insight and personal experience and knowledge to be able to help others in their recovery and help them to discover what works for them and that it really isn't the end of their life because they have a diagnosis now, that really has become a blessing because I remember being in that dark spot thinking, you know, great, I really am crazy and what did I do to deserve this? And then somebody helping me from their own experience and what a blessing that was for me. And so now I can pass that on to other people in service and and say, you really can survive this. This is something that you can now turn your life around and get control of it instead of it controlling you. So when we use what we learn, um, it's never a failure. You know, we may not, it may not come out the way we think, but if we can use what we have to help other people, then we have furthered the cause, not only for ourselves, but for them. And really that's what it's all about is helping each other. It's super neat to, to know that some of my darkest days or troubling times, those things give me the opportunity to make a connection to another human being. It, 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 it's that hinge that Lawrence was talking about that, that allows doors to open. And I think about being in recovery, the relationships that I have now, that rather than when I wasn't in recovery, are vastly different. Today, there's equality in those relationships. There's, there's healthy boundaries that help me not enable or or decrease the opportunity for someone to find recovery for themselves. Now, I wish I did that perfect, but the boundary things I'm horrible at. I it's it's a work in progress for me, but but at least we have some guidelines and some basis to go from, but I, I appreciate the relationships that I'm able to to develop today. I get to experience love and joy and gratitude and and i'm thankful for what i have rather than what i don't have and 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 for me that's a blessing i wouldn't want to live like i was living before because it was just a dark place and for me recovery hasn't been easy i i don't like examining myself and correcting my behavior when I know I'm wrong. I don't even like to admit that half the time, but I know if I want to have quality of life, I do those things anyways. And the relationships that I get to build with others reward me for that. And so I am truly grateful that I do get to look at myself and examine myself and correct, correct behavior where I am wrong. But the connection that I get to experience with others and the relationships 
that I get to build is 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 the joy for me of being in recovery. Yeah, I agree with that, Bill. It's, I guess when I, you know, when growing up, you think you're learning how to live, right? And you know what I mean? And there's no, you know, we only know what we know, right? And I really learned how to live and learned how to do the things through recovery. And, you know, the seeds were planted and, and things like that. And uh, I'm grateful for that. You know what I mean? That I, you know, that I'm, I'm what I'm really grateful that there isn't a timeline on it. That it says, if you're at this age, you can't do this anymore. And you can't learn this anymore. And I'm really, really grateful that even when I got, when I got sober at 54, that there wasn't a cutoff at 50. Do you know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, and it's funny to think that, you know, at, at, at this age now at 58, that I'm still learning how to live and do the things that, you know, people that weren't traumatized by certain things in life and with alcohol and drugs might have learned. And, you know, it, it, and it is a learning experience and it's a humbling experience to have to say, you know what, I made a mistake and it was my fault. I was just saying what you said, you did have some boundaries today, Bill. You knew your boundaries of you didn't, that you weren't going to go any further on that golf course today. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and those are boundaries, right? You know, and I know that those are, you know, maybe you think that might be silly, but you know, those are things that we learn. And what I've learned is I don't, there's nothing for me to have to prove anymore. Mm. And yeah. I've been, you know, to, I spent a lot of time by myself. My wife travels a lot and, uh, I like me today and I can spend time with me today. <laughs> do you know what I mean in that regard of being okay and not having to always do something to find something to do? And then I, you know, one more thing I want to say too is about services. I like to talk about service in the, in the program because when you're a new person in recovery and you just show up at a meeting, that's service. It doesn't mean you have to be the GSR or a treasurer, or a secretary or a president or a vice president or whatever we are. By you just being participating in that recovery program, whatever it is, you're giving service. And, you know, that's important for me to for me to be able to explain to share that with other people is important for me to be able to do that, because it is if we weren't able to share this, we wouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we're all coming from different parts of the state, right, today, right? And, you know, we're taking an hour out of our day. I mean, not that I had a lot of things going on between four and five, but, you know, I wanted to take the time to be able to do this and spend time with people that I get to know. Piggybacking off of uh, what you just said, uh, Greg, so the service is the cornerstone, if you will, and of, of all of this that I've found. And I, I think it's funny that uh, I turned 58 in September. So <laughs> about the same, the same time in life, right? It starts to really open up and you start to become, it's like, wow, uh, this is, this is what life should have been about the whole time, right? <laughs> And, but it's, I, I guess uh, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Oh, I wish I knew today what I knew when I, <laughs> when I jacked that up 30 years right? Um, it, you know, or I think about the experiences that I, I, I made it through, where at the time when I was in that experience, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you know? I, 
and and then now you look back and you know probably the the greatest bit of uh, information I got was from my counselor when I was uh so after I got out of service I first of all I was in denial right oh I'm good I'm good I walked out of service directly into my new job I was the director of operations for a security company in Europe I did some some pretty what people would think are some pretty exciting things but for me it was probably and I would tell any veteran now, you know what, that's probably a comfortable thing to do to jump out of the pot into the fire and realize that you got a little bit of Teflon on or cast iron because you've been, you've been there, done that. So all of this is just lower key, but you really need to take that edge off and you need to find a way to do it. Well, my counselor made me aware of a couple of things that uh, nature provides you with a lot of tools if you'll just observe them, right? And then the next thing she did was she said, you know, you're so edgy. You, you, you're, when you're edgy, that's telling me you can't rest. When you can't rest, you can't recuperate. And that's your body, your mind, your soul. And if, if, if you don't do that, you will seek out other means to cope right? If you can't cope, that pain, it becomes pain. And then you look for a solution to that pain. And then it often leads, right? We're here today talking, but to the other thing that I have really put at the cornerstone of all of my activity, and that is suicide prevention, right? It's always that elephant in the room pooping in the corner, and nobody wants to admit where the source of that smell is, right? And and it's there, right? And it's there. I hope that's okay to say in the podcast. But but it it is. You know, you just gotta call it what it is. You know, that's an elephant, and he's pooping in the corner, and it's stinking up the room, right? Let's let's first of all find out why he doesn't know any better, and and then you know, next of all, get that poop out of here, and then let's help him navigate the process of understanding why it's not okay to poop in the room that we're all in, right? And so she introduced me to the thought. She said, so since you're so edgy, why don't you, have you ever entertained getting a canine? And I had, because in my security company, I had 57 guard dogs, bomb dogs, crowd control, and personal protection. But I never thought about owning one or, or I never entertained acquiring one. Well, I did that and that changed my life. It changed my life. And then she said, now you, if you watch him, you'll learn. And I did. Oh, how I learned and how much I learned. The next thing I did was take what I learned in service, take what I learned as a child. I grew up pretty tough. I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in a place called Cross Creek Court. Straight up ghetto, hard, you know, just really, really tough. And I'm here today to be able to say that that was an important part of who I am today as well, right? Because you need to be able to speak with, talk with, in the service of others, anyone, 
at any level of our social setting on any topic, regardless of how intense or or how how soft the, the subject matter may be. And um, I, the next thing she challenged me to do was to put all of that knowledge into the raising of my son, who will turn 20, uh, 33 here in a couple of days. And I did that. And one of the things I did when I did that was to think of a, an acronym to help him figure out the attributes to guide him through life. And I said, what, what better acronym would be than to use our last name? So I told him, I said, the, the, the thing you want to do is to acquire attributes, enhance them, and let's use our last name uh, as that. And uh, my last name is spelled R-H-O-N-E. I said, you want to be a resilient person. You want to exude uh, that resiliency by every time you get knocked down, you get back up. And it's not okay just to get back up, but you got to get back up and move forward. Move forward being a, a better version of yourself prior to being knocked down. The next thing you want to do is to be humble. Don't let it be the case that you're only humble when you think you've accomplished something. And you know, not many people uh, quote this guy, but I think he said something that really helps one understand how resilient you must be as well, but it's also humbling. And that guy is Mike Tyson of all the people, right? He said, everybody's got a plan. Everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? So, so you got punched in the mouth. Life punched you in the mouth. What are you going to do? You're going to sit there and cry, suck on your teeth that got broken, get your jaw wired up? Or are you going to get up, dust yourself off, and, and, move, and move forward? The next thing is you got to be an optimist. You got to look for the silver lining or, or the opportunity in every challenge you run into. The next thing you want to be is noble in your handling of people, in your treatment of people, because people won't always remember what you say, but they'll remember how you treated them, right? So if you do so nobly, that, that will help. And then the last thing that I taught them that E in our name was to be enthusiastic. And if you're enthusiastic about something, you're going to be passionate about it. And if you're passionate about something, it's going to draw compassion. It may at sometimes give people like, whoa, what's, why is he so intense? Why is he so riled up? And I'm excited about life, excited about living. So that goes back to that elephant in the room, suicide, right? Well, one more thing that um, I think we might want to talk about are specific challenges that that we have had in recovery specifically geared towards us as males opposed to females it seems like like the challenges are different sometimes and what might some of those be i know i know for me some of the challenges that i've had to deal with in 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 my recovery and i don't know if this is different than women or not but i do know that there came a point in my recovery where I wasn't okay. I was on mental health medication. I had gained 60 pounds. I was on SSDI 
for mental health issues. And I had been working the 12 steps of, of Narcotics Anonymous and I was conflicted with accountability and responsibility and and how does how does that all fit in for me getting a government check i was and then i had low self-esteem issues because i was fat and i'd never been that way before and so i noticed that just a few months ago when i was doing this timeline i was doing this timeline on my, on my recovery and that was a real scary part of my recovery. I mean, when I lived it, it didn't seem as big of a deal as when, you know, I did the timeline like a month ago um, and I got really emotional about it, but I was at a crossroads about two years into my recovery of, of what am I gonna do and how am I gonna handle this particular challenge of low self-esteem, being overweight. And at the time I wasn't employed. I was getting a check due to being on a disability. That was definitely a challenge for me early on in my recovery. What about, what do you guys think? Do you, have you guys had any particular challenges in your recovery that, that could have gone either way? Um, this is Todd again. So one of the early on challenges for me, and I don't know, if this may apply to a lot of people probably, but was um how to address it with my kids you know lawrence gave a great example of how to um address those some of those issues and in in a great way however after i was diagnosed and learning to manage the bipolar disorder symptoms and things talking to my kids about it seemed like that would be overwhelming for them uh, they weren't very old, but old enough that they noticed my ups and downs and that I was struggling, which thankfully a friend of mine pointed out that, you know, they're already worried about you. Why not at least educate them on what it is that you're going through so they worry less, um, which was kind of an eye opener because I thought, you know, man, I didn't even think about that. So to be able to sit down with them and have an honest conversation about, you know, this is what I'm dealing with and this is what it looks like and you've seen that and this is what recovery is and this is what I'm working on and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay for, you know, men to have emotions and to cry and be upset sometimes and not know what to do and to be able to reach out for help and over the last you know 10 years i've tried to continue in that line of education with them as i go and now that my oldest are in their 20s and uh, my youngest just went off to college i feel like they have kind of truly finally understood that um, because they've all come around to the point of being able to ask for help they're not embarrassed by that they're not concerned that it's it makes them weak or any of the crazy emotional you know stigma that i had about asking for help and so for me that's kind of a win-win to be able to see that i've at least instilled in them the 
confidence to know that it's okay to ask for help. But early on, that was a huge challenge for me to be able to get past that, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and man up and get on with life and say, I have no idea where to go from here. What am I supposed to do with this? You know, and ask for help and then and then be willing to accept that help. So I think that's a struggle a lot of people have that I see is that, you know, we're supposed to know everything as adults. And especially when it comes to parenting, we're so afraid sometimes to tell our kids, I, you know what, I don't know, but let's find out together. You know, we'll figure this out as we go. That's a huge step to overcome. Uh, for me, it was personally anyway. And I applaud anybody that, that does that because you're really um, helping the next generation understand that, yes, you can be independent and you can be self-reliant, but you can also ask for help and it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you anything but stronger. I mean, when I think about the biggest challenge in recovery, it's always me. I think for myself, yeah, I couldn't get out of me. I mean, I, you know, when I first got into the, when I first got into recovery, I committed both my felonies stone cold sober. You know what I mean? So when I look back at that and I think, wow, you know what I mean? So the challenges have always been my ideas, me, me, me. And, you know, I liked what you said, Todd, you know, you know, today it's, it's asking for help and, and a lot of different things, you know what I mean? And, and being okay with that. I mean, I, you know, you know, today with my, I mean, with my kids, you know, I was incarcerated for three years. So I, I was three years out of their life. I have, you know, and, and now get to be a big part of their life today. And, you know, and that part of, you know, is, hey, yeah, there were some mistakes made, but now I, I get to be the dad that I, that they probably have always wanted and the dad that I've always wanted to be. And, and, that, and that's important. You know, and growing up in a family where there was no emotion and you didn't show emotion and, you know, it was self-reliance. Today that, you know, I guess the biggest challenge for me today is, you know, looking at my character defects and wa and wanting to work on those. You know what I mean? Because some of them I really like, and you know, I I don't you know, and I have to and I have to work on that. You know, I, I just got done building two decks on my house, and I had a lot of help from a, a another friend of mine. You know what I mean? And we we worked together. I couldn't have done it without that kind of help. I couldn't be here today sitting in front of you for other people if I didn't have help from other people. And I think that for me, that's the big, you know, the challenge today, and I, I like what you said, Todd, is when you ask for that help and then take that help and, you know, and, and, and be okay with that. You know, just grateful to be able to be where I am today. I really am. I'm really grateful to be sitting where I am today because there's, there's for a lot of reasons I shouldn't, you know, I could be sitting somewhere else for a long time. So to uh, address the topic of what Bill said about men, men specific, I would say that that me versus we thing, I think that might have to do with being <laughs> with being male as well, right? That that who mentioned that earlier, ego, right? In psychology, they talk about the alter ego and and what keeps what in balance and all of that, but. I tell you, first of all, understanding that there's no I and team, and that to say me is 
a lot less inspiring than to say we, right? And to understand that if you say we, that means you're going to have to ask for help and then turn it around even and say, oh, well, you know what? Uh, because it's we, I'm going to, hey, would you like a cup of water? Would you like a glass of tea? Would you, you know, and all of that. So I think one of the other tools that I put into my toolbox was the understanding of the concept of understanding, exercising the internal locus of control. And that is being able to and consistently taking responsibility for my actions or inactions and the consequences thereof. That's what recovery is, right? If you're going to recover, you got to be able to self-inspect. You got to be able to ask for input about how you are perceived because you could be perceived to be a jerk and you may not see that yourself. But if everybody's, if you're on a, on the interstate and everybody's driving the opposite direction, why are you asking, why does idiots all drive in the wrong way? You know? somehow maybe you got turned around. And 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 so I think that's a, a big part of it. But yeah, exercising the internal locus of control is probably the most important thing that I have seen to help me navigate that the challenge of, of ego, right? It, am I being egotistical or am I being am I being self-serving or am I serving, right? So that is huge. And then one of the other things, someone mentioned perfection, understanding that there are no perfect people. We are an imperfect people. So we have to understand that we're going to make mistakes. But again, if you don't exercise the internal locus of control, you don't self-inspect, so you can't identify those things you need to improve upon. So yeah, I, I think having goals, uh, setting those goals and understanding them. And then the, uh, the specific man-related man uh, deal, I would say probably is handling that ego, you know? Learning to be humble, you know, is, is, is huge. And part of being humility is being grateful for what you have or for what you don't have, you know? Irrespective of what you have. I think that I think that's huge, and and I really appreciate the fellowship. It's it's really been enlightening and inspirational, enriching. That is completely awesome. I have thoroughly enjoyed this hour that we've got to spend with one another. It is it has enlightened me and reminded me of some things that I knew but have forgotten, and so true, Lawrence. Ego, 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 humility, humility, humility. Uh, I got to constantly remind myself of that. So thanks for joining us all. I hope you all got something out of this and we appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, thanks you guys. Thanks for joining us for another Recovery Month 2020 event. You can enter for prizes by going to our website, mtpeernetwork.org slash rm2020 and use the code M as in Mary, I-R, 2-8-B as in boy, D as in dog. Again, that's M-I-R, 
BD. Thanks again and good luck. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works, recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.